Welcome to Life Radio, where we practice collective reflection on modern life. I'm Danielle. I'm Lawrence. I'm Maureen. Each episode, we choose a topic, find a question, and dive in. Today, we're reflecting on bodies. So, what do you guys think? Bodies. Right now, I'm thinking about, why does mine hurt? <laughs> like, what if it just didn't hurt? That would be so nice. Maybe. If I were to get a little more conceptual, I think it, I might turn that into, what is the purpose of pain in the body? Well, I've been thinking a bit recently about exploration of the body and ways to find an embodied sense of freedom in our lives. I think connected to that, maybe connected to both, is which bodies are allowed to thrive in the society and integrate and be celebrated. Mm. That one sounds interesting to me. Yeah, I think about that a lot in terms of aging, actually. As I get older, I'm feeling really committed to not buying into the societal ideas that older bodies are not beautiful or not wanted or not accepted. Yeah, and I think there's some interesting stuff around the surprising disconnect between like young bodies being like praised or held up and the ridiculous things we do to like contain children's bodies like lack of agency for children is a thing that just shows up all the time like watch people who don't know small children just like walk like walk over to them and pick them up that just is like a bizarre thing to me we also have you know, it's a place of intersection. The body is a place of all these intersectional components of the identity. You know, race, class, gender, sex, size, health, age is all expressed through these cells and organs and humans walking around the earth. Great. So are we going in there? Yep. Which bodies are allowed to thrive? Mm-hmm. Why are you looking at me? They don't know I'm looking at you. <laughs> I'm telling them. <laughs> well, you had a decisive, mm-hmm, so we thought maybe you had some thoughts to share about that. Well, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not true. <laughs> so uh, let's see, where to start? Oh, okay, well, I guess just to, uh, I don't know, I'm thinking about my... Like right now, identities that are important to me, I identify as a man, I identify as queer, and identify as black. And one of those things, that middle identity, you can't always see externally. Sometimes you can <laughs> when I choose it to be so. But the first and third one, I can't ever really hide how people see. And one of those identities is celebrated and allowed to thrive and the other is not so like my male identity is central in american society and my black identity is decentral <laughs> decentered marginal in american society and i know like all people have or not all people most people at least in this country have among their identity markers some that are central and some that are marginal but I've been really interested these days in thinking about 
like what happens when you cross a center identity with a marginal identity. And yeah, it's been fascinating to follow news stories about whose bodies are like worthy of centering and talking about positively and whose bodies are talk- not only not talked about positively, but often not even talked about as bodies, like not talked about as human bodies. Like when black men are murdered in the media or when black men are murdered or black people in general, because there are also black women and black like people all along gender identity spectrums whose bodies are not talked about as like human bodies or talked about as like animals or talked about as like monsters or talked about as beasts. Yeah. So just thinking about like me as someone who is in like a male body and a black body, like being able to thrive in some ways and in some ways being able, like in some ways, like being okay to be murdered. So just starting out super light. Yeah. (laughs) But you know, whatever. It's real. It's life. Yeah. I think that's a really great place to start. Thank you for opening that up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one point that you made is around how some aspects of our identity are inescapable when you walk into a room. It's inescapable that you're Black. So if somebody has a bunch of assumptions about that, those assumptions are projected onto you. And But it's easier to hide the fact, if you need to, potentially, if you choose to, that you're queer or some other aspects of your identity. And I have also been working with that, of course, noticing the generosity that I receive in the world because my skin is white. For instance, of walking around in New York City thinking about stop and frisk and the amount of particularly young men of color who received tickets or other criminal charges for having a joint in their pocket. And thinking about how many times I've walked down the street in New York City No one is asking me what's in my pockets. And if I ask an authority figure for help, they oblige me. So definitely noticing the way the whiteness of my body has lended to the view I have of who can be trusted in the world and the feeling I have when I'm walking down the street that I'm welcome and safe in in many areas. And contrasting that with the messages that I've received from the society about queerness being dangerous and all the ways that I've had to manage my own impulses and pretend that I was not who I am. And then on top of that, more recently, really recently, actually, and surprisingly recently in the past couple of years, Noticing how much I've internalized because of my size and the ways in which the society is targeting and harassing and just bullying people who have larger bodies. And I'm talking about sitting around with people who consider themselves to be my friends, who are making ignorant comments about my health when they don't know a thing about my health. They just have a series of assumptions about what a healthy body looks like. I can remember sitting at dinner with one friend in particular, Mm. 
who's talking about the obesity epidemic. And I was just thinking to myself, I think that your greed and stress is an epidemic. And I wonder what the costs of that are on our society. You said that out loud? Hell no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Ooh, yeah. But it's, it's a lot of stuff that gets accumulated. And then it caused me to actually disassociate from my body. And, it, and as the sensation has returned into my body, it's actually been overwhelming to like manage all of the sensation, you know, which mostly came through meditation and yoga practice of just coming back in contact with the fact that like, oh my gosh, I have these amazing organs that are taking care of me. And there's so much joy. And I'm actually allowed to experience joy in this body as it is right now. There's not some future body mm-hmm. that's going to be the body where I experience joy. It's all right here, right now. And that has just been mind-blowing. Mm. Yeah, it's like there's certain ways in which, because of our identities and the way that there's a hierarchy in society around particular identities, we're forced to constantly be self-aware about our bodies. But then there's a lot of other ways where we become, like you said, like disembodied or disconnected. I have this very visceral memory of when I started doing yoga about 12 years ago, 13 years ago of realizing for the first time how much I didn't breathe, you know, how much I like walk through life. And, you know, it's like city life. It can be stressful. And I was working in the as a community organizer, which is can be an intense job, kind of stressful. And just how much I would go through my day barely breathing, like holding my breath. And I actually didn't even notice it until I came to this practice called yoga, where you focus on your breath. And just the way that, you know, my the way I carried my shoulders up you know, barely separated from my ears and just all the the way that I carried my body and moved through the world, I was completely oblivious to it until I had a particular practice to become mindful about it. And what I love too about yoga is that, you know, there's a way in which the body doesn't proliferate the way that the mind can. And so when you spend an hour, 90 minutes, however long you're, you're in a physical practice, focusing on the movements of your body and your breath, it's like a grounding force. And it gets me out of my head in a way that um, nothing else really does. So yeah, there's something about, you know, ways in which we're hyper-conscious of our bodies and ways in which we're totally unconscious of our bodies that are often going on at the same time. But it's an interesting thing to unpack. Yeah. And I guess as as I think about growing up, you know, I have like a pretty thin frame of like 5'9", 140 pounds. And most of the people in my, like I'm the, I'm the littlest person in my four person like nuclear family. My brother is like 6'1", and like 180 pounds. I think my dad is 6'2", and like 200 something pounds. And my mom is five eleven and three quarters and I don't know her weight and I would never say it on air which is an interesting thing yes yes (laughs) um and yeah I got all these comments when I was growing up about like when was I gonna put on some oh my gosh what was the phrase when are you gonna put some meat on your bones was just like a pretty consistent part of my childhood and Everybody would always say like, oh, yeah, your dad didn't put on any weight until he was in until I think it was like after he graduated undergrad. So he's like 22, 23. And, you know, it's 
just another way that like there's sort of this like perfect middle, this like idealized body somewhere that anybody who is different than that gets these like comments or targets or like messages that they need to be moving themselves towards that thing, whatever direction that looks like. And yeah, it, I didn't realize until I was a little older how psychically exhausting that was. And, you know, I still in the scope of like all people in this country, like didn't experience that much of that. Like, so just, yeah, the ways that systems around us make us conscious of those things and sometimes push us so far to the other side of consciousness. Danielle, like you were saying to like dissociation is just like a, I don't know, it's like a fascinating thing that we, for the most part, don't comment on like as a society i don't know i recently wrote a piece called life is in the body that i published on the infinite growth blog it's a great piece thank you <laughs> and it came from actually being with my friend at the moment when she died my friend beth Ryder kenna and holding her hand and realizing that the pulse that i felt was my own and feeling the temperature of her hand change and watching the life leave her face was such a wake-up call to me that life is in the body, that this life that I know right now is physical. And it has to do with a beating heart, and it has to do with all these organs and all these veins, and that there's no time to not fully live because of some desired future state. And also to just really notice the the beauty in a single life, you know, and that when that life force drains from a person, they're gone. That's That configuration is never going to happen again. And I think we have fallen out of the the practice of working with people where they are by the ways in which these standards have been created about how a body should be, you know, whether it's the toxic global standards around which skin tones of people get to rule the world and control the resources or, you know, which people are considered to be sexually attractive, which people are considered to be, you know, worthy of being successful and leading, right? A lot of times, I mean, when you look to the front of a room and you see someone there, you're like, oh, you are working with your body, right? To be, uh, you're using that as your magnetic force. And which bodies are allowed to be seen as magnetic? I think there's a lot of actually fun play to do around that of, you know, wh what values are we holding in our own interactions with people? And are they consistent with our values? If we notice the habits of, you know, who are we attracted to trust? Who are we attracted to kiss? Who are we attracted to just be around, you know, and question some of the assumptions around how does this connect to which bodies do I believe should be thriving in the world. This is a, I don't think it's a tangent, but it's not what I thought was going to come up. <laughs> <laughs> There's a podcast I listen to called Food for Thought, 
and it's like four queer writers talking about identity and sex and like culture. And one of the episodes was about learning, uh, the process of learning how to change who you're attracted to and specifically like how you shift your perceptions of beauty away from societal perceptions of beauty. And it's a really interesting episode. And there's a bunch of resources in there that I didn't look up and follow that I want to. But the fact that there is possible, (laughs) like I just had never really thought about the fact that it's actually possible to, over the course of a number of years, intentionally practice changing who you think is attractive. And I guess part of the reason that came up was because I think about, or I often forget that the mind or the brain is a part of the body. And just like I can exercise and make my muscles stronger, I can also exercise my brain or my mind and I can shift it as well. And then that relates to how I think about bodies, like my body, other people's bodies. I don't know. That's just like what sparked for me at the end of what you were saying about how do our perceptions of whose bodies are allowed to thrive or which bodies are beautiful, how do those ideas relate to our values and do we even talk about that very much i actually experimented with a practice a number of years ago where you know in just reflecting on the ways that our society puts all these really stringent standards on women in particular around how they're supposed to look and what is considered attractive or not and i thought okay every time i get on the on the train what if i looked at every woman on the train as being totally beautiful instead of, you know, labeling and categorizing, like, yes or no. And it was actually really radical to have that experience where just, like, you really see people as fully beautiful humans, regardless of how closely they hew to the societal norm of beauty. And, yeah, just it just opened a lot of space to feel connected to people. And you realize how much you walk around unconsciously judging people about all kinds of things. And just a little thing to shift out of that, that habit was really powerful. And I do think that there's a way in which it's about, I'd say even more so than the brain, it's about consciousness. And, you know, in my meditation community, there is this element of exploring the ways in which consciousness is separate from the body. And that, you know, our essence actually can exist separate from the body. And and at times people describe having out-of-body experiences, right, where their consciousness still is intact, but they 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 have a moment of separation from the body. And I think that that idea for me actually opens up a lot of freedom where we identify with the body and there's ways in which that can, that can be fun or useful or exciting, but there's also ways in which it keeps us trapped and keeps us limited and keeps us in fear, especially around things like illness or sickness or disability, you know, quote unquote disability. And yeah, I think it's I think it's an interesting practice to just look at that and examine it and play with it and and explore the ways in which we don't need to actually be dependent on our bodies for conscious existence. I think that's true. And there is this sensual experience that we have. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing to tap into that. You know, that I think is where part of being human, I think, is realizing 
the the difference between the body and the consciousness, realizing the way in which the mind runs like a bubble machine and realizing how to separate out all these things. But what's really, I think, unique about being a human is all of the joy that we can experience in our bodies and connected as well to pain and, and under, you know, knowing pain in the body is part of knowing pleasure. It's funny when you said sensual, I'm currently in a practice of remembering that sensual and sexual are different, (laughs) which is a thing that, I mean, is for sure societal, but it's also especially like targeted towards men or folks who are socialized as men that like, any sense is like directly linked to like a sexual experience or like the potential of a sexual experience. And so I just want to, as I noticed that in myself, I'm curious, Danielle, if you will, if you would unpack a little more about like when you say sensual, like what comes up for you or what are you, what are you talking to? Yeah. I mean, this mostly has been illuminated for me through Vipassana meditation where you just notice the sensations in your body. And what I've found, particularly through reading Uses of the Erotic by Audre Lorde, is that I've been walking around in my life confused about what the sensations in my body mean. I don't know if it's different for men, but I've noticed as a woman, I have a really high level of sensation in my body almost all the time. And life sort of taught me to tune away from that And as I tune towards it, there is a high level of sensation that at times is similar to the sensation of sexuality or sexual experience, but it's not actually the same. And it seems like the practice is really learning how to actually live with all of the sensation as a non-sexual experience so that it can then be powering all of these other life force activities rather than just being reduced to climax, right? But to actually have it be a sustaining source of power and renewal and connection to the earth, you know, through grounding in the body. And so I think it does have overlap with sexual sensation, but it's not the same. It's actually much more. I'm just thinking about this really incredible workshop I went to a few weeks ago in New York, it was a yoga workshop actually by, led by an amazing man named Leslie Kamenoff, who's been teaching yoga for 40 years. And the, the workshop was on alignment. And, and I went because I have recently been thinking about practices of self-inquiry and starting to see yoga actually as a practice of self-inquiry and about a means to exploring a sense of freedom in the body. And as soon as I got to this workshop, he started talking about how yoga is a tool of self-inquiry and it's about freedom. And I just knew I was in the right place. And his whole idea is around the idea that everybody is different. It has a different alignment that works for it. And that you can, as a yoga teacher, you can use your cues to guide people towards inquiry of what's going on for them in their body and to discover their own sensations. And that often what yoga teachers do is name what people should be feeling in a certain pose. And that 
actually that's problematic because everyone's going to be feeling different sensations in different ways at different moments. And that actually you want to, this idea that there's a way that teachers often will try to micromanage the experience of students in their class by giving overly precise cues about alignment. And that actually you can loosen that up a bit and have, you know, sort of just enough technique to kind of hold space, but leave a lot of room for inquiry for people to really discover their bodies for themselves and discover the sensations and what's going on and what alignment works for them. And that that's actually what leads to safe practice. And in a way, allows for more freedom, right? And so I'm just really energized by that perspective on a practice like yoga and that there's not a right way to do a pose and that what's actually important is guiding people to try things one way. The way he frames it is try this, now try that, what do you notice? And so you can offer contrasting things for people to try and then it's up to them to like make meaning of their own particular experience and the sensations that come up. Any final thoughts on this? <sighs> Which bodies get to thrive? Yeah. I guess uh, what was coming up for me, Maureen, when you were just talking, I'll try to turn this into a final thought. <laughs> What's the relationship between thriving and freedom? Mm. I think it's a pretty tight one <laughs> <laughs> or a pretty close relationship, but yeah, just thinking about how, you know, sometimes the work that we're doing, the people that we're doing it with, there's sort of this idea of liberation or freedom that's, you know, Danielle, to your point, like it's in some future state. It's like some future world. But, you know, I really appreciated the way you were saying, like, the joy that you're going to feel is in this body right now. Like, all of it is here. Maybe you will also experience it in future bodies because you, like, break your leg or, like, get stronger or, I don't know, cut your hair. <laughs> like, it can also exist in those, but, like, it's going to be in this one, too. And I feel like we so little talk about liberation or freedom or justice as, like, what does it feel like in this body right now? Or what would it feel like if I were to experience liberation in this body right now? Yeah, and I've been thinking about, for sure, like, what does freedom feel like in the body? Like, what does my chest feel like when I'm free? What do my shoulders feel like when I'm free? What does my stomach feel like when I'm free? And it's a really interesting question to be asking. I hadn't thought about it as self-inquiry, but I guess that's what it is, so... I'm just thinking a lot about self-inquiry and freedom and liberation and my body. They feel really intricately linked, but I want to understand the intricacies. Is that the word? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, sorry. <laughs> That's all for this episode of Life Radio. Thank you for listening to our collective reflection on modern life. We'd love to hear your reactions. You can find us on Instagram at Life Radio Show. Bye. Bye. Bye.